Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, August 13th. We begin with a look at the speculation for the call for a federal election to come as early as this Sunday. We discuss the timing and the liberal strategy behind any potential September election with Daryl Bricker from Ipsos. Next, we head stateside. We speak with Global News Washington Bureau reporter Jennifer Johnson about all the goings-on south of the border this week, including asking OPEC to increase oil supplies, the resignation of Andrew Cuomo, and the latest on COVID-19. The Calgary International Film Festival is back in theaters this year. We talk with the artistic director about the festival's opening film and what this year's edition of the festival will look like. And finally, it's a chance for kids to experience and enjoy fine art this weekend with the Create Kids Fest 2021. We get details on the festival from founder Mandy Morris. As speculation has been swirling for weeks that the Prime Minister will drop the written call of federal election. Now it looks like that will happen this Sunday, sending us to the polls on Monday, September 20th. There's also no shortage of speculation about the timing of the vote and whether or not it's going to help or hurt the Liberals who are looking to upgrade their minority government to a majority. Joining us to discuss is the CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, Daryl Bricker. Good morning to you, Daryl. Thanks for having me on, Andy. Thank you for being here. Well, this election call will come two years before it has to. So how often does calling an early election pay off for the party that calls it? Well, sometimes it can pay off. I mean, Stephen Harper back in 2011 couldn't find a way to get defeated and you know, ended up being in a situation in which he got a, a, ended up getting a majority. Uh, but this is unusual, in, the, in this particular situation is unusual, in that there's no reason, really, for the government to be calling this election other than to try and find a majority, and they're doing it in the midst of a, a rising fourth wave. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a risk the prime minister's running here. Bit of a risk it if, if it does come to fruition, and we'll see the results as early as well the 21st of September. But the poll numbers at this point show the Liberals out in front by varying degrees over the Conservatives and NDPs. Uh, but how accurate are the polls now versus later in the campaign? Well, they're uh, more accurate than not, but uh, we haven't seen the campaign transpire. Remember, every poll that that uh, tests vote right now, or it has been for the last while, ask the question, uh, if an election were held tomorrow. Well, an election isn't going to be held tomorrow. It's not going to be held for another 36 or 37 days. So a lot can happen uh, during that period of time. We saw that back in, uh, for example, back in 2019, when nobody knew anything about the Prime Minister's uh, uh, affection for costumes and, and other things prior to uh, prior to that election, and it ended up being a big issue. So things do tend to happen during election campaigns. But what's particularly interesting this time around is the the motivation for calling this election and the potential strong reaction the public could have to it. Let's uh, let's talk about the polling process for a second, Daryl, because I know pollsters have taken grief over the last couple of elections for quote unquote getting it wrong. What do people need to know or keep in mind when it comes to, to reading poll numbers? Well, the first thing on that is uh, most po- most polling episodes, like uh, election campaigns, pollsters get it incredibly right. I mean, in the last election campaign, we predicted that uh, Justin Trudeau was going to win a minority government, and uh, and but he was going to lose the popular vote, which is exactly what happened. 
So, um, you know, uh, the, the record shows that most of them are, are, are right. Uh, there's some circumstances when they're not, and we can usually explain those. But these days, there's many ways to contact people to do polls. We do a combination of online and telephone research where we call people on landlines. We also call them by, by cell phone. So what we try to do is get a really good picture of what people are thinking uh, about the electoral process and make sure that we've got a good representation of what the electorate is going to look like on Election Day. Because remember, even though, uh, you know, 100% of the people that we interview say uh, uh, we'll give you an answer generally on, on how they would vote. Uh, there's probably only about uh, between 65 and 70% of those people are actually going to show up. Mm-hmm. And this time around, that's actually going to be the critical factor, whether or not people show up. We do know that uh, political parties commission their own polls. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. are those numbers that they get different than the ones that we see, you know, by the general public? No. Um, but they, they do them for a different purpose. They're not trying to predict the election outcome. What they're trying to do is figure out how to affect the election outcome. So they put a lot more focus on the things that drive vote as opposed to trying to estimate vote. And uh, um, I would say that they're not any more uh, accurate at being able to do that than anybody who's a, a, you know, a credible mainstream pollster that's putting out results uh, through the media like we are with, uh, with Global News. Very interesting times, and we'll see it play out live in front of us over the next uh, four or five weeks. Thanks for your time this morning, Daryl. Appreciate it, Andy. Thank you. Thank you. That's Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. U.S. President Joe Biden has asked OPEC to increase production in hopes of reducing prices at the pump. And New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has stepped down following a damning harassment report. We're joined now by Global's Washington Bureau reporter Jennifer Johnson. Good morning and happy Friday to you, Jennifer. Happy Friday the 13th, Andy. Friday the 13th. Hey, while I have you, are you superstitious at all, or is this just another day on the calendar for you? I definitely take notice of it, but I'm not that superstitious. But I did think, like, oh, Friday the 13th again. So... (laughs) We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. You're not uh, looking out for black cats. Uh, good news there. Well, uh, let's no. uh, let's get to the business's hand and uh, start with U.S. President Joe Biden asking OPEC to increase production uh, to bring down those gasoline prices. Well, this uh, yeah brought swift reaction to our Alberta government and the energy industry here in Canada, uh, pointing to hypocrisy on Biden's part, considering his first act was to shut down shut down the Keystone XL pipeline. So I'm wondering, how is this playing south of the border? Is this the case of Americans behind the president's yeah, let's bring down those prices or our industry leaders pointing to, to maybe a different path that should have been taken. Well, a little bit of both. I mean, Republicans are definitely, you know, hammering on the fact that Biden shut down the Keystone pipeline deal, which was supposed to bring in about 800,000 barrels of crude oil a day from Canada to Nebraska. So Republicans are going after him on that. He has asked OPEC to increase oil production. OPEC cut it dramatically their oil production uh, during the pandemic, just because so few people were driving and, you know, demand dropped drastically. Now Biden's point is demand is back up. People are going back to work. People are driving and out and about again. But the oil production hasn't kept up with that pace. And therefore, um, gas prices are really skyrocketing in the United States. They're up about 42 percent from a year ago. All right. Well, from there, the other big news this week was New York Governor Andrew Cuomo finally stepping down after facing pressure to resign from everyone, both inside and outside of his own party. Uh, but he didn't exactly go quietly, did he, Jennifer? No, I mean, that, I have to say, Andy, that was kind of really, that showed a lot of hotspot because not only was it the New York State Assembly and the Democrats, you know, in the New York State Assembly, but it was also 
um, Congress people from New York, Democrats, and the President of the United States, who's also a Democrat, calling for his resignation after at least 11 women um, came forth with allegations of sexual abuse, sexual harassment. Uh, and so he did not go quietly. He actually resigned but hasn't left office. He resigned on Tuesday, but he gave himself two extra weeks. And I don't think that's doing him any favors, Andy, because now there are calls for potentially impeaching him by some Democrats in the state assembly. So he did not go quietly. And it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out, because Andrew Cuomo could still face criminal charges. Um, There have been criminal complaints lodged against him with that are being investigated. So he could still face that. He could still face an impeachment. And so I think that he it would have behooved him to resign on Tuesday and leave on Tuesday. And so he's leaving two weeks open for people to go after him. Oh, very interesting. I guess we'll see how that plays out. It's, it's been in the news for quite some time and not over it quite yet. Let's talk about COVID-19, the numbers in the U.S. Where are we at this week and which states are standing out? I mean, it, you know, it's still we're still seeing the Delta variant um, going up, the numbers going up, mostly across the south and um, southwest a little bit in the upper Midwest and California. And so the numbers are still going up. Hospitals are, a lot of them are absolutely swamped, some out of beds, problems in like Alabama, Mississippi, Missouri. Florida just remains in the headlines. And I know a lot of Canadians, um, you know, winter down in Florida. But, you know, Florida is in a big tussle between the governor and the state uh, school superintendent and the local school superintendents. Palm Beach County, for example, brought kids back to school. 400 of them, over 400, have had to be quarantined as of today. And the local Palm Beach County uh, school superintendent is asking for a mask mandate, and Governor Ron DeSantis is uh, preventing that. He's saying if kids want to come to schools with masks on, that's fine, but he will not allow any kind of mandate in any jurisdiction in Florida. And so the superintendents in cities like Miami, Palm Beach, Jacksonville are really fighting for him because kids are getting COVID in schools. Let's talk about that. You know, I mean, as far as, and it's different in the U.S., I think. Uh, when does school start for the most part down there, Jennifer? In the next couple of weeks here, just before September? Well, in Florida, it started this week. Okay. Um, yeah, so it, and, but I live in Maryland and we don't start till after Labor Day. And I think that's, I think the first day of September 8th. So it varies from county to county and state to state. Um, but in Florida, it has already started. They've already had COVID outbreaks. The superintendents, as I said, already fighting with the governor. And, you know, like, for example, I think in Palm Beach a couple of days ago, they were out of ICU beds because so many people are in the hospital with COVID. And, you know, the problem is, People are getting not only sick who aren't vaccinated, but some of these breakthrough cases are making people very sick. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a couple of friends of mine who actually ended up in the hospital who had been vaccinated. And so, you know, it, it's just a problem compounded on another problem. Uh, Joe Biden, I think today he is announcing um, that he is going to uh, give millions more to various uh, small health departments, rural districts to try to get campaigns out, more campaigns out, encouraging people to get vaccinated. But, you know, for example, in California, um, I mean, I can just talk personally, my son is in Los Angeles, and, you know, they can't go into restaurant and bars without showing proof of vaccination in Los Angeles, San Francisco. 
And so he was reluctant to get the shot and got it two days ago. So, you know, you are in some cases being forced to mm-hmm. do it, and it's because America has such a difficult problem. Yeah, For the record, the rest of the family did get vaccinated. Okay, just wanted to clear that up. <laughs> that was my Way next question. That. Well, you <laughs> I know, have one son is a little needle-phobic. <laughs> certainly evolving in a situation that's uh, far from over. Uh, thanks for your update, uh, Jennifer. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Andy. That's Jennifer Johnson, uh, Global TV Washington Bureau reporter. The Calgary International Film Festival has revealed their opening night feature film, All My Punny Sorrows. It's the latest film from Michael McGowan. All My Punny Sorrows infuses wry humor into the heart-wrenching story of two loving sisters. One a gifted pianist obsessed with ending her life, and the other a struggling writer who, in wrestling with this decision, makes profound discoveries about herself. With more, we're joined by SIF's artistic director, Brian Owens. Good morning to you, Brian. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking the time. I want to get into what this uh, this year's festival will look like and what it's like to return to uh, some more normalcy. But I want to ask you about this. All My Punny Sorrows are going to be kicking off the festival. How do you decide which film's going to kick things off? Uh, well, we always like to start uh, with a Canadian feature, and this is uh, one of the best Canadian films of the year that we've seen. So uh, it just made sense. Uh, back in... Uh, before I was here, I believe it was 2015 or 2016, uh, we opened with Score, a hockey musical, which was directed by Michael McGowan, and uh, this is his latest. So we are glad to invite him back for day one. All right, so you've got to have that lined up and ready to go. Let's talk about this setup. Is it uh, back to theaters 100% for audiences, or is there a mix of in-person and online events? Yeah, we uh, had a very successful event last year in doing the hybrid um, combination of some in-cinema screenings with very limited capacity last year of just 33%, um, and about uh, 86 features uh, that were available to watch at home. So we're going to repeat that. We'll actually have more uh, in-cinema screenings this year than we had last year, Mm -hmm. and slightly higher capacities. We're still defining what those capacities will be as we watch the numbers uh, here in the province. Um, So that will be announced at the end of this month. Uh, as to exactly what we're going to do. But we're also expecting to still have around 60 uh, feature films available to watch at home. What did you learn, uh, you know, from that change-up, from doing things online? You know, I I know that we found a lot of, you know, positive unintended consequences from the pandemic. Uh, Did that change your outlook? Yeah, you know, what was interesting is um, one of the biggest notes we got from our audience last year is there was a lot of people who um, either their health had changed um, or or their family life had changed. They'd had children who they used to come to the festival regularly and then suddenly they couldn't. So when we brought it home due to the pandemic, we also brought back some audience members that we had lost over the years just due to circumstances um, that you know, changed their lives. So that was kind of uh, neat to bring people back to the festival by taking it to them places where they can view us. so <laughs> Taking it back by pulling them out of theaters. If you would have talked about this five years ago, it would have seemed just you know, the, the most bizarre thing in the world, wouldn't it? Oh, um, <laughs> never would have thought it. <laughs> it's very interesting. Well, there's something new this year as well, Brian, I'd like you to touch on for us is Industry Week programming. What is it and what's it all about? Well, um, you know, you hear the stories in the news all the time about how all these productions are coming to Alberta. Um, the, the Last of Us, Joe Pickett, several you know shows and movies being filmed here in the area. And with that growth, we decided that uh, we wanted to use our opening weekend as an opportunity to bring all the people who work in the industry together 
um, so they can talk about the the changing issues uh, with the industry. So uh, it's a, a sort of conference like during the daytime hours when we're not really doing stuff on the screen. Uh, we're bringing uh, professionals together and people who aspire to be in the profession together. That's important too. Um, just to talk about career opportunities, changes in the industry, and uh, the places that we can go together. Um, uh, you know, it's one of those things too that we want to make sure that everyone knows that uh, you don't have to already have a career in film. If you're an electrician, there's a job for, on a set for you. If you're a beautician, there's a job on a set for you. If you're a caterer, there's a job on a set for you. So uh, anyone that's really aspiring to find a career in the film industry is welcome to join us as well. Yeah, when you put it in those terms, Brian, it's kind of incredible, the reach of an industry, you know, uh, like like film in the city of Calgary. Now, when we look back at previous years, we know the staples of Cineplex Eau Claire and the Globe Cinema, but uh, there's a new venue this year as well, right? Yeah, um, Contemporary Calgary is joining us this year. They've got two theater spaces in there. Um, and uh, we've been wanting to work together last year, but of course, pandemic made those uh, that, uh, difficult. So our closing weekend, we're adding those two screens. We'll be doing some special events there that will be announced shortly. But uh, we're glad to have them on board, and it uh, presages some things to come, I believe. And so, of course, we know All My Punny Sorrows going to kick it off. When will the full schedule be announced and, uh, you know, do you know how many films we'll see in total? Yeah, so uh, next week we'll be announcing our Alberta-made feature and short films. Uh, the week after that, we'll be announcing music on screen and our Generation Next program, which are the films that were programmed by a team of high school students here in Calgary. And then finally, September 8th is the full lineup announcement and tickets will go on sale September 10th. One of my greatest memories as a teen and well in high school was I would go to see two movies on a Sunday with two of my good buddies. And one of the things we would do is we'd go and see one of the top blockbusters. So whether or not it was, um, I don't know, at the time, like a, a Forrest Gump or something like that. And then we'd see something completely off the beaten path, something that we could find at the Globe or at the former Uptown uh, Cinema yeah. that we knew nothing about. And I want to get your thoughts on this. For people who you know, have been stuck in mainstream cinema for their, li- for their entire lives, there's nothing wrong with your, your personal choices. You know, what would you say to those people to try something a little different, something that might not have the, um, you know, $200 million, you know, marketing machine behind it, a film of, of, like, of that nature? Oh, I think it's, you, you can be shocked by it. Um, and I think you should be. Um, the thing I love about going to film festivals, uh, ours included, is the, the gems and the discoveries that you make, that you may end up walking into something that's outside of the normal style of film that you like, and yet you discover uh, there's elements to that that you really enjoy. Um, one of the things that I discovered over the years, too, is um, especially when you look at films that come from uh, East Asia and parts of the Middle East, mm-hmm. their pacing is very different from uh, an American film or even a Western European film. Um, and when you settle into that pace, you sort of find yourself, you know, being able to relax your way into a movie. And I know that sounds unusual, but it's it's refreshing sometimes to not be sort of beaten down <laughs> by yeah. constant editing and changing of scenes. So um, it's really great. Like I've always found that that. If you do a festival right, you get a good appetizer film, you get a nice meaty film, and then you get a dessert film too. So um, <laughs> there's really, there's moods and tastes all over the place at a film festival. So it's always worth uh, giving a shot to try out just something that I throw it a, you know, throw a dart at it and see what, where it lands and then give it a go. That's what I like about it. You might discover something. Just give a couple hours of your time and you might have a new favorite movie and, you know, a new favorite director or some stars. Um, this is the opportunity. Uh, thanks so much for your time, Brian. 
Oh, very glad to speak, Andy. Thank you. Good stuff. That is Brian Owens. Uh, he is the artistic director for the Calgary International Film Festival. Online at CIF, that's C-I-F-F, calgary.ca. Kicking off a little over a month from now. It takes place September 23rd through October 3rd. And as Brian mentioned, the full schedule of films being released next week. Create Kids Fest 2021 is an interactive, multidisciplinary festival for preschool and elementary age kids and their families. Providing the audience a chance to experience fine arts, explore the process of creation, and participate in special moments that will be cherished for years to come. Joining us now is the founder and artistic director of Create Kids Art Society, Mandy Morris. Good morning to you, Mandy. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Tell us about how this festival was born and and how do you see it? How would you describe it to somebody? Uh, So this festival was born in 2019 when I saw that there was a gap in our community for a children's arts festival. Uh, So I thought I'd give it a try in 2019 and we produced in-person festival that featured over 20 local artists. Now, obviously, a lot has changed since 2019. So last year, we did an on-year online festival. And now this year, we're back in person at Sea Space. And we're providing all of this entertainment for free because we want to get the, give back to the community that has been through so much in the past year. Mandy, how important is it to expose kids to art when, when they're young? Oh my goodness. I mean, I might be a little bit biased, but I think especially when learning emotional regulations and problem-solving skills, art is integral to a child's development. When you read the materials about this and you look online, it says that the audience members get a chance to explore the process of creation. Can you give us an example of of how something like that looks? Yeah, absolutely. So in... um, at, at the Alexander Writers Society, there's going to be a Create Your Own Superhero ongoing workshop. So you can work with the Alexander Writer Center's youth program to create your own superhero with them. Also, Foothills Dance Pro- Project is producing or did produce an incredible video of youth exploring the themes of leadership. And after viewing the film, we invite our audience members to take a deeper look at leadership through a visual art activity. You mentioned for the kids and for the families, what is the age range of kids that it is uh, you know, geared toward? Preschool and elementary kids would enjoy it the most. Uh, and each event is kind of interactive and tailored to the audience that arrives there. So it's very flexible in the ages that can enjoy it. All right, let's uh, back it up. We mentioned C-Space, but let's give some more details on when and where. And uh, do we have to register and any cost? So it's free, and it's this Saturday, which is tomorrow, August 14th, at C-Space King Edward. And it takes place throughout the building. So if you come to the market, you will see the dragon there with... Uh, Quest Theater. And our theater events uh, will have a couple walk-up tickets for each show, but not very many. Otherwise, it's a come-and-go interactive spaces at the outside market in Alexander Writer Centers and in Quest Theater. One more quick question for you, and that is, let's talk about Create Kids. And, uh, you know, this is a huge event for everybody, but throughout the rest of the year, you guys keep pretty busy, don't you? We we get we've been busy all over the place. So yeah, coming up, we will be having a youth showcase for 
Alberta Culture Days, and then we try our best to keep the programming going throughout the year. We are a brand new nonprofit, so we're establishing a lot of our flagship programs, and we've been doing so in the past year, and we'll continue to do so as we grow. Thanks for telling us all about it, Mandy. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, too. Good stuff. That is uh, Mandy Morris, founder and artistic director for the Create Kids Art Society and, of course, online, createkids.ca. The big Create Kids Fest 2021 takes place tomorrow. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.